today unique. I, I know that uh, Ryan said this is one, two, three, one, two, three. I'm the one that says, no, it's not. It's one, two, three, one, two, two, oh, two, three. That's, that's the truth. And it'll never happen again, ever. So uh, that's where I am. <laughs> But we're on the the other side of the Christmas story, though we're in the midst of the Christmas story. Now that we've already celebrated, we've acknowledged the coming of joy, of peace, of hope, of love through the supernatural birth of God the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now that the, the decorations are down, our little candles are gone, What changes now? Where are we now? Do we just sit back, wait for next year, we'll do it again? What's changing now? This morning, we're going to look at three responses to Christ's birth. And we're going to discover that they are still accurate today. And you will be in one of the three categories My prayer is that we'll acknowledge what category we're in. And if we need to make a move, that's going to be the change beginning today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. My subtitle here is the visit of the wise men. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So chapter 12 begins after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. As we read through this, we notice that The wise men did not go to the feeding trough. 
They did not go to the manger. They went to the house where Jesus was. The Greek word that's used there describing the the child is no longer an infant, but it is a child. And then when King Herod learned of the newborn king, he had all male children, two years old and younger, killed. I like to look up extra biblical uh, references to events that happen in the Bible. Not that I need affirmation, but I do think it's kind of cool where they do connect. And I looked up this about Herod. And I was like, you know, that's a significant event in our history. Surely there would be something that we could find that would connect the dots. And there's not. And there's a lot of speculation as to why that might be so. And, you know, when we think of all boys two years old and younger being murdered that would be a huge event no matter where that happens in the time of of jesus day in bethlehem that may have only been eight or ten boys so it really didn't hit the news there's other things happening that would hit the news and we'll we'll learn about that in a few minutes when we talk about who herod was and what he was doing in in fact in the grand scheme of things of all the things herod did killing a few boys was not that big a deal he was ruthless now i'm going to uh, make a statement here and it's not accurate and really the accuracy is not important because sometimes we ask well when did the wise men show up and i'll give you this general just based on the information that we have, within two years of his birth. And I'm saying that because that's what it shows. I mean, King Herod said, well, boys two years old and younger, they will be killed. It was a toddler. They were in a house. All those things seem to add up. It was, it was not at the birth, but it was after the birth. But really, is that important to know the exact time when the wise men showed up? And I don't think it is. Now, I want to ask a question, and I want you all to answer the question. Against every fiber of your soul, I want you to answer what I tell you to answer. Okay? I'll ask a question, and you answer this. We do not know. Got it? How many wise men were there? You are right. We just sang a song. We three kings of... Well, that's inaccurate. We don't know how many wise men there were. In every manger scene, there are three wise men, and they're bowing down with some some treasures. We know there are three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but nowhere in Scripture are we told there were three wise men. We know that there were at least two because it's in the plural form. Some would say, well, why do we even have the wise men there? They weren't there at the birth. No, but they were part of the the big picture. They were signified when he was born. They began making the journey when he was born. And they showed up after he was born. But they're all part of the big picture of the story. Let's notice the wise men. They're kind of mysterious. They were looking expectantly. Of all the stars in the heavens, how else would they have identified the one star that signified the birth of the newborn king of the Jews? Upon seeing that star, they were compelled to worship him in person. Now we can speculate, why did they go to King Herod? 
of all the people, why did they go to King Herod and raise the flag and said, hey, the Messiah is born? Why did they do that? Why did they stop in that, that area? Why did they stop there and speak to Herod asking for the king of the Jews? I'm going to give you some possibilities because we don't know the answer. Maybe they expected the newborn king of the Jews to be in the capital city. That's reasonable. Maybe in their excitement, they announced it in every city that they traveled through. Did you know that the king of the Jews is born? Do you happen to know where he is? Maybe they just genuinely didn't know where he was. They're just looking for help, looking for some direction. You might say, oh, Steve, wait, what about the star? Well, the star, let's not get confused. The star showed up when he was born. They recognized it. They began their journey. The star did not lead them until after King Herod. And the star led them to the place where Jesus was in the house. Who were the wise men? How do they know about the promised Messiah? Again, we just rely on history, and there's some speculation in that. There's things we just don't know. We know that Magi were known for having an unusual capacity for understanding, and they mixed religious knowledge with secular knowledge, and it seemed to work to their benefit. Since they had come from the East, we would assume that they were not Jewish. Some scholars suggest that they learned about the promised Messiah through the writings of Daniel, who was a captive 500 years earlier and wrote. Maybe that's how they learned about him. What about the star? That's interesting because we live in a predictable, finely tuned universe. We have programs that can place the stars for any given place at any given time in history or in the future. We just advance forward and, and it all works because it doesn't change. So we could use the program and we could look at the starry sky in Boaz, Alabama in the year 3023, December 31st. And we could look on the program and say, that's exactly what the stars would look like if we looked up in that year. Or we could go back in time to 23 AD and say, wow, this is what it looked like so long ago. Theoretically, you could go back in time, you could set the scales between 37 and 4 BC, which is when King Herod reigned. And we could go to Bethlehem and we could set the stars and we could go through every night of all those years looking for something significant in the sky. Maybe an alignment of, of the stars in a specific way that caused a special light. And I've, I've read articles about people doing that. Said so this must have been where these three came into alignment that happened so rarely that created this light or this star. Maybe that's when it was. But, you know, we're still without the information required to know that that was the star. I don't think we're going to find anything because there's no record of anyone else seeing it. The wise men are the only ones that are recognized as seeing this special star. So it was unique to them. 
It's not uncommon to use stars for direction. We, we were taught in the military how to use stars for direction. And I've shared with you my story of getting, getting lost in the desert so it didn't work with me. I was not that great of finding my way. Uh, thank goodness for GPS today. Um, and we know that the stars are used for navigation. But this star... In the latter part of the verses we read, this star led the wise men to the house where Jesus was. There's no star that does that. And that makes us step back and say, this was a supernatural, God-ordained leading of the wise men to Jesus and nothing else. We don't need to try to explain it naturally. Well, it must have been. Well, I'll tell you what it must have been. It must have been by the hand of God. It's by his power that they found him. How else would you travel so far and go to the house? Is the Jesus here? <laughs> Is the king of the Jews in this place? Not only did they look expectantly for the Messiah's birth, but... They made sacrifices to worship him. If they were, as some suggest, were from Persia, that's modern-day Iran, they would have had to travel a 1,000 miles to Bethlehem. What's a 1,000 miles? If you and I packed up our luggage and started walking to the northwest, when we get to Albuquerque, New Mexico, that's about the distance we're talking about. There are some sacrifices that must be made by the Magi to make this journey. They sacrificed their time. They sacrificed their possessions just to be with Jesus. They could have stayed home, but they were compelled to go in person and worship this newborn king of the Jews, no matter the cost. Do you search the scriptures expectantly are you looking to hear from god do you sacrifice to come and worship even when it's easier to do something else it's easier to stay home do you come to worship with an expectation to encounter the living god as the wise men did Do you bring offerings to the Lord to give him what is due? There's not a lot known about the Magi, but I know enough about them that it's worthy to follow their pattern, to do what is necessary to be in the presence of God, whatever the cost. That brings us to King Herod. There's some history about King Herod that um, some in his family previous had converted to Judaism and he respected the Jews. He he had familiarity with their religious practices um, to some degree anyway. But, But when we read this, we see very quickly that he had no clue what was going on. Verse 3 says he was troubled. The Magi come to his place and they ask where the newborn king of the Jews is. He was troubled. Why was he troubled? Because he was king of the Jews. 
No one told him he was being replaced. History tells us that Herod was ruthless. He had his wife's brother drown in the pool palace or the palace pool. He put to death 46 members of the Sanhedrin. He killed his mother-in-law. He also had his wife murdered along with two of their sons. So when King Herod became greatly distressed, you would understand why all of Jerusalem would be greatly distressed too. Didn't know what this guy was going to do. After speaking to the wise men, Herod assembled the chief priests and the scribes. And he turned to them and he said, where is this king of the Jews supposed to be born? In verse 5, I don't know the, the timing of this, but it's, it's like the, he got them together. He's like, hey, these magi have come to me and they're asking where the king of the Jews is born. Do you know anything about this? And I'm like, yeah, it's in Bethlehem. In fact, let me quote you the prophecy from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And they quoted the, the prophecy to him. I found that a, a bit bizarre, for lack of another term. These were the religious leaders. They already knew. So we can't miss this. They had the knowledge of the Christ, but they did nothing about it. They didn't act on the information they had. Today we have more access to God's word and Bible study tools than at any other time in history. Yet we behave much like chief priests and scribes. According to Barna, in a recent poll, over half of Americans believe the Bible is without error and contains the keys to living a meaningful life. It also shows of those, 48% use their Bible three to four times a year beyond church. In other words, most Americans recognize the importance of using God's word to live a meaningful life, but they're unwilling to do anything about it. We have the information. We know the information, but we set it down and we don't apply it to our lives. What good is that? I want to challenge you as we begin a new year. There's nothing magical about tomorrow it's january 1st 2024 but there's something that goes along with the new year that we we kind of look at it as a fresh start this is a time to begin uh, the gyms will be full tomorrow or tuesday if you're taking the day off but there's a lot of emphasis on a new beginning you know, what there's going to be a change this year i want to challenge you to read god's word more than you have I'm not saying you have to go through the reading thing and check every box because often it becomes laborious and it becomes about checking the box and not reading God's word. But find something that works for you. I, I don't make a habit of bragging on people. And I don't know if this is really bragging as much as it is bragging on God. But my mom and dad are here today. Uh, Dad's 87, mom's 84. She'll tell you 40. <laughs> The last two years, they've read the Bible through as a couple. Might be earlier than that, but two that I know for sure. And they've already made the commitment to do it again this year. Um, it became a priority in their life. 
And say, it's never going to happen to you and me if it's not a priority. Is it really God's word to us without error? Does it really give us everything that we need to live a God-honoring life, a meaningful life? Well, if so, should we not study it and absorb it and read it? Be familiar with the character of God. See how he's at work and what he has done so that we can look for where he's at work today and we can join him now. So that doesn't happen by showing up to church once a week. This happens as we experience God on a daily basis, as we read his word, we digest his word, and we apply his word to our lives in obedience. That's how it changes things. I want to encourage you to do that. Isaiah 55 verses 10 and 11 says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, and it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. That scripture is often used for the evangelism, for sharing the gospel, say, well, it's not going to come back empty. Listen, God's word accomplishes God's purpose in God's people. And if we're not exposing ourselves to God's word on a regular basis, he's not accomplishing in us what he desires. We're forfeiting the the transformation by choosing not to go to God's word. By choosing something else, we're saying, God, I know you want to do a work in my life. I know that you want to strengthen me. I know that you want to make me more faithful. I know that you want to make me look more like Christ. But I forfeit it because I want to watch TV. I want to go play games. I want to go in my sports. I want to go shopping. I want to take a nap. All of the reasons that will push it aside and forfeit what God wants to do in our lives. Spending more time in God's word, you will experience more of God in your life. Because his word will not return empty. Apply it to yourself. So there were three responses to the birth of Christ. And each of us will identify with one. First, there was King Herod. He tried to eliminate Jesus. Some people are like King Herod in that they they try to disprove the reality of God. They try to eliminate the creator from creation. They try to eliminate the giver of life from their life. They try to eliminate the need for a savior. But scripture says this, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're not going to talk it away We're not going to eliminate the truth. Satan did not eliminate Jesus. King Herod did not eliminate Jesus. And there is no creation that can eliminate Jesus. He is the truth and he's here to stay. Number two, the chief priests and the scribes ignored him. And contrary to popular belief, ignoring Jesus does not make you less accountable to Jesus. Knowing about Christ and ignoring him is more grievous than never having heard his name before. 
If you call yourself a follower of Christ, yet do not do what he says, you are behaving like the scribes and the chief priests. It doesn't mean that you must obey to be saved, but it does mean that you will have the desire to follow him when you are. Number three, the wise men worshipped him. They stepped out of their comfort zone. They traveled. They intentionally sought the presence of God. They made sacrificial offerings to God. We reflect back on the last few years, and we still talk about COVID and the impacts of COVID in our country and our churches. Many people used COVID as the excuse to remain comfortable and content and casual regarding their spiritual practices. And if we're not taking spiritual matters seriously, being living sacrifices as we're told in God's word, doing whatever it takes to be faithful followers of Christ, knowing that he has empowered us to do so, then you and I will start acting and thinking like King Herod, the religious leaders of that day. What will change with you? Beginning today, you can set the course of a lifestyle of worship to make your spiritual experience more than just a Sunday, to make your spiritual experience more than just a holiday, to acknowledge Jesus as more than just your helper when times are tough. No matter your age, your occupation, or your health, ignoring Christ as the central influence of all you think, say, or do will make you weak and shallow and powerless in your spiritual condition. And we look in the mirror and we might sometimes just ask the question, what is going on in my life? I really thought there would be more to this Christian walk than I'm experiencing right now. And and let me just say, Jesus provided the answer. He said, there is. He has come that we might have life and have it to the full. Now, that that doesn't need to be misinterpreted as saying he's going to make us all rich and healthy. That's not what that means. We're going to have fullness in life in him. The power that he provides to accomplish his mission the power to transform us into the image of Christ, which we cannot do on our own. Tomorrow's a new year. What will change with you? Commit to follow him daily in the word. Share the gospel message. Make sacrifices to join him in his work. There's nothing more important. Be intentional in worship and give God the offering that's due him. You cannot expect a different outcome by doing the same things you've always done. We can't just be content where we are. I can speak for all of us today. Not one of us looks perfectly like Jesus yet. There's a work to be done. For some of us, we have clung to sin that entraps and entangles. And we're not going to progress any further until we get rid of it. 
We need to confess it specifically, agree with God specifically about that sin and turn our back from it and turn to him. We can't be casual with our relationship with Christ. If you were casual with your relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend or your husband or your wife, you would not have a very good marriage or dating relationship. We have to be intentional. To seek him, to seek his face, to please him. If you're born again, you have the power of God abiding in you already through the spirit of God. And that power will transform you if you will relent. It'll empower you to serve Christ and it'll encourage you to keep turning back to Christ. If you're not sure, the beauty of God's grace is that you can be. If there is an inkling of a question in your heart, Christ says, come to me. All you are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. He promises peace. He promises joy. He promises love. He promises forgiveness. He promises an eternity. You don't have to worry because it's all based on his work, not yours. If you're not certain, he says, come. What do I say, Steve? What do I do? If I come forward, what do I say? Here's all that you need to say. I need Jesus. That's as simple as that. Maybe this morning you recognize that you are not like the wise men. Maybe you find yourself more like the scribes, the religious leaders. And maybe you, you don't see yourself trying to kill Jesus, but you're surely not acknowledging him. And it's time to change. I can't think of another way or a better way to begin 2024 than with a commitment that says, I stand for Jesus and I will follow him, whatever the cost. Will you do that today?